Time now to talk a little college football. Kyle Gunther joins us now. Kyle, good morning. Good morning, gentlemen. Last week was the most insane weekend of college football I've ever seen. Uh, I don't know what to expect this week. Do a little recap first before we move on with the Utes. Uh, What were your takeaways from that ball game? It was the strangest game I've seen at Utah football in 10-plus years. I've never seen catches like what USC was able to make. There was two or three that were physically impossible. The Amon Ross St. Brown touchdown beating double coverage. I think it was Javelin Guidry and Julian Blackman were both there. That's just a play that can't be made. It's indefensible. There's no scheme for that. If a quarterback and a receiver can hook up in that fashion, if you've got a guy like Amon Ross St. Brown who's able to high point that football, there's nothing you can do about it, but it should not happen. There was a play to Michael Pittman in double coverage. I think he beat Tariq Lewis at one point. It's so strange when you see the defense for Utah uh, and specifically the defensive backs get beat, and that's what cost Utah the game because it never happens because Utah's defense has been so elite. They carry the team in 10 or 11 games every single year, and that's just the way that Utah football's designed. So, you know, the, the strangeness of knocking out a freshman quarterback on the first drive, and then Matt Fink comes in and was going to transfer out. He's got the weirdest throw I've seen as far as just the, the lob he's got. He, his passes were floating, and it felt like Utah's defensive backs missed timed and misjudged the footballs but overall there was an insane amount of penalties and I don't just mean oh they, they were picking on the youth I mean watching that game every two plays yeah. there was a hanky on the field and right. it made the game I mean I, some of those holding calls were absolutely bushly there was a holding call against uh, Nick Ford that was just incorrect and I believe that was the, the situation where Whittingham even picked up a uh, he got the flag for unsportsmanlike, which that's got to happen maybe once every four years with Whittingham. He usually keeps his composure. So it was a passionate game. It was a strange game, but it wasn't even the strangest game in the Pac-12 last week. That was this UCLA comeback that I've never seen. Anything. Big adjustments happen the first month of the season. Conference play is here, and you're seeing game plans change for a lot of teams, but. Utah-USD was one of the, the, the least explainable games we've seen in a long time. So what do you expect out of the offense without Zach Moss? And I think that's twofold. You know, they ran for over 200 yards against SC, but SC clearly has problems. If you get off the edge, you get outside, you use your speed and get out to the numbers, and you, you can get big plays against that USC defense. Do you think the Utes are going to be able to run the ball that effectively assuming Zach Moss isn't playing in this game? Well, I really like Devin Brumfield and what he showed against USC, but you know, Washington State gave up several really long plays to UCLA, uh, and I believe a lot of them were through the air. Uh, I, I know UCLA had two different special team scores. They had a 100-yard kick return. So Washington State missed tackles in the open field, but you tell me which Utah running back you feel like has the best chance to get into the open field. So if we're talking about an explosive play, which is a play of 25 yards or more, that's where the youth need to get to because that's on film from last week. UCLA was able to do that, albeit some of it was on special teams. But if Utah football can't run the ball, they're, they're not going to be able to accomplish their goals. Now, Utah's offensive line did not play well against USC. 
Utah's offensive line got beat several times very badly. Guards, tackles, it was a cluster, Frank. They had to move Nick Ford to tackle. They moved him back to guard. You can't do that in the course of a game. If you're doing that, that means you've got serious issues. Now, that being said, it's partly because USC has the second-best D-line in the conference. Washington State's D-line is not that good. Washington State's linebackers are not that good. So, yeah, Utah should have more success running the football against Washington State. But then the question becomes, you know, you're going against air raid offenses back-to-back weeks. Utah's defensive backs looked they, they looked like they were out of position half the game against USC. Now, USC has the best receivers in the country. Now, outside of Devontavion Martin for Washington State, their receivers are going to be a little easier to cover, a little more manageable. So uh, I'm expecting Utah's defensive backs to play better because I've rarely seen them play worse than they did last week. Yeah, that's true uh, on many different accounts. You know, you rarely have seen them play worse. And the fact that you make that statement that SC collectively has the best receivers in the country, I don't necessarily disagree with that whatsoever. they got a couple of top-end guys, and even whoever you decide, uh, uh, to me, Pittman is the the best. And the other two, who's the other guys, uh, you know, uh, Vaughns or St. Brown, I think that they are certainly within the realm of being close. So you combine them together, and they're not going to face that talent. But you look at Washington State's receivers, and I think, and and doing my preseason study, they returned guys who caught collectively 30 touchdown passes last year. I mean, just a staggering number of guys. Six of their top seven or seven of their top eight guys were back. So even though they don't have the depth, and nobody really does, the quality at the top that SC has, they have a number of guys and how do you think that plays out in that none of these guys are pitmen, but they're all capable of getting you at any time. So you really can't double or you can't put Jalen Johnson on somebody to try to shut him down because their depth is probably as good, combined with the system, of course. So how much of a challenge is that going to be that you can't zero in on one or two guys? Well, yeah, I mean, PK, that was the issue last week is Jalen Johnson got burned on that very first series, and there was one play, I think it was Michael Pittman, he made an amazing grab over Jalen Johnson. Maybe it was Amon Ross St. Brown, but either way, that makes sense. Those guys are going to the NFL, and and Pittman, you guys saw him at Pac-12 Media Day. He's the size of a high school offensive tackle. He's freakishly big, but after that, Jalen Johnson was silent the whole rest of the game for the most part. He didn't get beat. And everyone expects that. But Tariq Lewis struggled. Uh, Javelin Guidry struggled. Uh, Julian Blackman struggled against USC. And so when you're talking about that depth, that's what Washington State is going to test. So they're going to find Jalen Johnson, and they're going to say, okay, that receiver's covered, and they're going to try to find a way to throw the ball, to try to find Javelin Guidry or Tariq Lewis and continue to mimic the game plan of what USC did because that's what smart coaches do. And Mike Leach is very funny, and he's certainly very smart. They look at what has worked previously. Few coaches want to reinvent the wheel every week. And Mike Leach is going to look at what USC was able to do and say, well, our offense is similar. Let's try to take these three or four pass routes that worked for USC, and let's try to duplicate that. But uh, Jalen Johnson is a shutdown corner. That means whoever is being guarded by Jalen Johnson is going to be covered throughout the majority of that game. They're not even going to test him. Quarterbacks don't want to throw interceptions, and Jalen Johnson can make you pay. 
but it is going to be about Utah's second, third, and fourth corners. And they weren't good enough last week. And so I think Washington State will be smart and try to find ways to pick Utah apart in the shorter and intermediate routes. But Utah's got to make tackles. And Washington State's not going to break them the same way that USC did. I don't think Washington State will be as aggressive on the vertical routes. USC had the talent and the athletes to get vertical. And Matt Fink, again, I cannot explain that throwing motion. It's just so weird to see that much loft under a ball. It's not a high-velocity throw. It's a weird angled throw. Maybe that threw off the defensive backs. Maybe. I mean, it sounds like an excuse as soon as it's coming out of my lips. I I don't know how to explain Matt Fink's passes taking eight seconds to get to a receiver (laughs) and there being a jump ball there. Uh, I I don't think Gage Gabrud's ball is going to be that unique. But, yeah, if I'm Washington State – I'm looking at anybody covered by Tariq Lewis or Javelin Guidry, and I'm saying I'm going to throw to them until those corners step up and show they can play better than what they did last week. So I'm assuming that you think USC cannot replicate that performance against Washington. You think Washington will do the Utes and really everybody in the Pac-12 South who has a title hopes uh, do them a favor and beat SC? I don't know why Utah dialed up a shotgun read option play on the goal line. I am never a fan of running the quarterback on short yardage. It's not against Tyler Huntley. This goes back to, as a player, I don't want the 190-pound pretty boy carrying the ball. I want a 210-pound wrecking ball of a running back in short yardage. So that drove me nuts last week when Utah struggled uh, in the red zone on the goal line. Utah had two field goals blocked. You know, Utah left points on the field. They doubled up kind of possession for US or against USC in the first half. You cannot lose a game when you have more yards, more first downs, almost double the time of possession. It makes no sense that Utah could have lost under those circumstances. So USC has the athletes to create four or five incredible plays, and that won them the game. But I do not think you will see a game that was so poorly managed by the referees. Uh, Utah at times mismanaged USC on defense. So my point is, I do not think USC is all of a sudden this big contender in the South. I think USC was very clearly the, the easy pick to be the second team in the South. But now they've got to play Washington. They've got to play Notre Dame. And then we'll see if Khalil Tate starts to run around on you and, and USC starts missing tackles because their defense is on the field too much and Arizona's running the ball to maintain time of possession just like the youth did, you should be able to beat a team. I've never seen that where you're down in the first half and you've got double the time of possession. It just shows you the quick strike ability for USC. And, I mean, you guys tell me, what did you think of Matt Fink there throwing that ball? I mean, as soon as uh, the Slovis went down, you're thinking, okay, there's no way that Utah's defense is going to give up a play. And all of a sudden, Matt Fink is throwing these ducks through the air and I think it threw off the timing for the Utes, but I, I do think you'll see USC come back down to earth, and I assume Utah will level out this week, too. They'll get the running game going, and they got to stop running Tyler Huntley so much. I didn't think we'd see a game where he had 18 carries under Andy Ludwig, but when your starting running back goes down, what are you supposed to do? So I think we need to cut down. I think we need to see Utah cut down on Tyler Huntley's running attempts, and then you'll see things even out for them. They had multiple guys averaging five or six yards a carry. I think if the star running back goes down, you give it to the second string guy and assume that you gave him a scholarship for a reason. I couldn't believe Huntley ran it 18 times. He took the first two carries 
after the Moss injury straight into the middle of the defensive line. I'm with you on the yeah. you know, the 190 guy versus the 210 wrecking ball. I'll give it to the 210 wrecking ball. I thought Hundley had totally bought into the plan to run him less and keep him healthy the way he ran the ball in the first three games. He picked his spots. He got out of bounds. He got into the end zone. He slid. But against USC, he got hit a lot by really big guys. Not getting hit by a corner. He's getting hit by the front seven. And it's not even a debate anymore because we've seen Tyler Huntley get hurt each of the last two years that he's been starting. He's tough as nails, but you cannot take five and ten serious hits a game. You'll make it about a month. Now, he made it, I want to say it was eight games last year approximately. He made it a handful in his first year starting. I think he got hurt in the first month or so, and then that shoulder bothered him. Tyler Huntley's barely 200 pounds. You've never seen a 200-pound mobile quarterback in college football outside of Johnny Manziel have success. And maybe I'm missing somebody, but I can think of Cam Newton and Johnny Manziel, who are what we call, quote-unquote, and maybe Marcus Mariota. Let's put him in there. That we call uh, mobile quarterbacks that made it through the entire year. And if I'm missing one or two, fine. The point is, it's like five guys in the last 20 years that can be mobile and not get the ever-living snot knocked out of them. It's a violent game. And no one's trying to injure you, but they are trying to hurt you. They've got bad intentions. So when Tyler Huntley gets thrown to the ground, it's not, oh, where's the flag? It's, this is football, and Tyler Huntley needs to avoid that like the plague, avoid all contact. But I can understand in the heat of the moment, trying to get the first win against USC in the Coliseum in 100 years, I understand why Tyler Huntley would at times get aggressive and want to carry the ball, but there was a screw-up or two on the handoff, on the, the option play, because I think Tyler Huntley was trying to make a play instead of giving it to a young running back. Or Either way, I would love to just see a regular handoff in certain situations. There's a place for the read option where you're optioning a defender and Huntley can keep it or you can give it to Brumfield or whatever, but how about just a regular inside handoff? It's not sexy. It doesn't need to be. Just turn around, give it to the running back, let him run downhill. But, man, it, Tyler Huntley's running ability, I think, has been way overblown. I think he's a good runner, but it's not worth it. I don't think he's a mobile, uh, a dual-threat guy. I think he's a really great passer who's athletic, and it's tough to see a quarterback have – when he leads the team in total carries – it's tough to see because we've seen that recipe fail the last two years for Tyler Huntley. If Tyler Huntley goes down, the youth cannot win the Pac-12. They do not have the quarterback on campus right now to win them enough games without Tyler Huntley. So it was so terrifying to see Huntley take those hits against USC. So if a 190-pound football player is a pretty boy, what's a 180-pound radio host? Well, you guys are easily some of the prettiest guys in your studio right now. I mean, Hatch is okay, but I would say, you know, in terms of height, you know, DJ's probably going to be picked out by most of your female listeners as the most attractive because he's very tall, he's on TV. PK, you're on TV at times, but you're usually wearing goofy outfits and hats and costumes and masks, so... The, the women might view you as being less of a serious candidate, whereas, I don't know, DJ looks presidential. Uh, he's on the, the soccer calls uh, for RSL. He's uh, he's all over the place. So I think as far as prettiness goes, I think it's DJ, PK, and then Jake. Just as long as they identify me as a man, I'm okay. 
I think what PK's <laughs> got. 2019. Yeah, you can be gender fluid now. It just depends. Whatever you want to be today is fine, and you're, you're not even legally allowed to judge that. I don't think he was listening, so I don't think he knows what you're talking about. And second off, PK has a gift of music. That's how that's how he wins the ladies over. Oh, what a man! What a man! What a mighty good PK. You got like uh, the piano action or whatever. Hey, chick dig music, all right? I know uh, I learned to play guitar in middle school so I could play Jimi Hendrix's Star Spangled Banner in front of uh, one of these little talent shows to try to impress a gal. And I went up to her afterwards and told her she was the prettiest gal I'd ever seen. And uh, she didn't watch the performance. She had no idea who I was. So, you know, music can work or it can fail. Depends on how ugly you are, and I am I am that. <laughs> yeah, you talk about... Uh, them winning the South. I thought Tyler Huntley taking off like a chicken with his head cut off basically was I've got to make a play because not only do we need to win this game, but we're the favorites to win the South. And if we start 0-1, there goes our top 10 national ranking. There goes our playoff. And SC will have the tiebreaker, and we're screwed. I think the pressure on these guys finally being picked as the favorite in one game anyway, I don't necessarily believe it's going to work over the next eight, but in the one-game situation, I thought it got the best of them, and they've got to find a way to forget about all that, which I know is very difficult, and just relax and play football. What is your thought? Well, yeah, I'm okay with my quarterback, if I'm a coach, selling out against USC on short-yarded situations, uh, in the goal line situation, you know, again, I would give the ball to the running back if I was calling plays, but I can understand if I'm a fan why Tyler Huntley was getting hit, taking those knocks from big guys just trying to make a play because it is USC. You haven't won there 100 years. But the issue is that Tyler Huntley is still not comfortable when his first read is covered. Now, he looks great against Idaho Tech, uh, Northern Illinois, Weber State, whatever, BYU at times. When Tyler Huntley's first option is open, think about the first drive against USC. He makes an amazing fade route throw to Jalen Dixon, an inside fade route. And Jalen Dixon is 5'9". So Tyler Huntley lofted a ball over a USC defender in between the safety before the safety could get there. Perfect placement. If you go back and watch that play, Tyler Huntley catches the snap, looks at Jalen Dixon, plants his back foot at the three-step throw, and he puts that ball right on the money. Now, look at the third and the fourth quarter. At times, Tyler Huntley's looking to his first receiver, and as soon as he has to move his head to try to find the number two guy in the progression, that's when Huntley starts to take off like there's pressure, and he's been doing that for three years. And, you know, Utah's offensive line stunk against USC, but I can tell you, as a former offensive lineman, I'm always going to look at the timing of the quarterback. Did the quarterback hold the ball for too long? Did the quarterback scramble? before he needed to? And the answer is yes for Tyler Huntley against USC. And I think he would have taken some of that pressure off the offensive line had he just planted his foot and thrown the dang ball. The safety, the play where he took a safety was one of those situations. You cannot go through your third and your fourth lead progression. Now, in that situation, when you're in your own end zone, find your first option, and if he's not there, throw it a mile out of bounds. But... Again, this is Tyler Huntley trying to make plays, trying to go through the read progression. Do that against Washington State or Oregon State. Uh, I don't think UCLA or Arizona's D-line, Colorado, I don't think their D-line's very good. USC's defensive line was very good. Your O-line was getting worked at times. Not picking up stunts and twists 
if a D end and a D tackle switch gaps, okay, it's a little weird to see, but you work on it a thousand times a week. There's no reason why Utah's offensive line should have struggled there. They got outplayed. But, again, Tyler Huntley needs to get rid of the ball quicker. And there are times where he's scrambling too much. And, he, he, you know, the commentators and the fans online, they'll say, oh, Huntley's so amazing at, at escaping pressure. Look at his escapability. Look at the way he rolled out of some of those tackles. And that is true. He has that. But also Tyler Huntley creates some of that on his own by trying to drop back in the pocket too much. No, you plant your foot. And if anything, you need to step up in the pocket. But Tyler Huntley needs to have a three-second rule. And that is that ball's got to be out of your hands in three seconds. And all this jumping around and trying to spin out of tackles, you know, you're going you're gonna to cough up the football. I believe that's what happened against USC last year. Tyler Huntley was kind of spinning around, and J.T. Fele knocked the ball out and ended up running it back for a touchdown. Now, you've seen Tyler Huntley make some amazing plays escaping pressure, like the touchdown, the, the nail-in-the-coffin touchdown to Stanford last year that really sealed that play. I mean, Tyler Huntley was fast. He somehow bows his back and pulls himself out of it. Okay, all that's great. But that should not be the foundation of your offense. And Tyler Huntley is a guy that he's very comfortable when his first option is open. But his second option needs to be the check down. Maybe the youth need to work with him and say, just find that running back leaking out of the backfield if your first guy isn't there or throw the ball out of bounds. But I just don't think as a senior, now what, uh, four games in, you're going to see Tyler Huntley become this, this passer who wants to go through his progression patiently. It's not working, and I think Tyler Huntley's creating undue pressure on himself because he is trying to create plays when they're not there with his legs, when really just throw to your primary receiver or step up in the pocket, find your check down, or throw it out of bounds. I do not like this idea where you see Tyler Huntley's head whipping back and forth and he's trying to guess inside the pocket. It's not working out, and it's not going to come now with eight games left of your senior year. Kyle, we got like 30 seconds here real quick. Uh, Leach seems to have Kyle's number. The Washington State's won four in a row here. Do you think the Utes are going to get this done, break that streak, get to one-on-one in the conference, and win this game? I do, and I think Mike Leach's system has given the Utes problems because they do throw it with such high frequency and they test the edges. Uh, Utah should have won the game last year, and should have, would have, could have is a weird thing to say, but Utah should have won that game with their game plan a year ago. They went away from the run game. They won't do that this year. The Utes will never lose another game where they double up time of possession. My word. I think they're going to dominate time of possession against Washington State. I think they'll win the game. I do not believe, however, that Mike Leach has never sent an email. Kyle, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for joining us. DJ, PK, thank you, gentlemen.